Inside of me, Dr. Esteban Marconi. That's too bad. I see that it's National Veterinarian Day. That's why we're on. This is Veterinarian Biz 101 and more. No, I was going to tell you to go there for your, ail your ailment. Which ailment would that be? The broken inside. <laughs> I am broken inside right. now. Actually, tonight I'm feeling really great because we're going to have a really great guest on the air tonight besides yes. you. Yes. We're going to have Lori Majewski, who's an author, and she's also... Did we have her on the air ever? No, we've, we've had, had her, her live. On. Yes, yes. Right. We've had her, we had her at our music management seminar yes. in Year of Our Lord 2017 here at William Patterson right. University. But we've never had her on the radio with right. us Right, and she does, she's a radio aficionado. Yes, and she's a passionate 80s obsessive woman. Oh. But that, that not that she's an obsessed... She's obsessed about the 80s, ah. and she's a woman. Ah, Two separate totally Did things. Did you see her this morning? No, where was she this morning? No, I thought you were going into... Surgery. I'm going in tomorrow morning. Excuse me. Yes. For those of you listening, <laughs> that's Dr. Esteban Marconi. If you're still listening. If you, For those of you, should you desire to continue listening, I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp, and you're listening to Music Biz 101 and more! Yes! Woo! Oh, heavens to Betsy! But we don't have a guest named Betsy. We do have Ashley Weltner, who is our engineer. Yeah. Engineer Ashley yeah. Weltner. So good to have her. So good to have Ashley here. Uh, we do not have a student co-host tonight. Mm. We had one, but he had to bow out. Actually, he had some uh, serious personal problems. So wow. um, Ashley just has normal everyday problems. So that's why she stuck around. So right. thank you one more time for Ashley. She's also yes. going to be reading some tweets later. We're listening to Don't Let Love Down by Robert Fusari. Rob is the musical director of I Want My 80s, the best of MTV's ladies that will be on the air. No, that won't be on any air. It will be, well, you'll hear it if you're there live at the Shea Center for the Performing Arts. Actually, it's just Shea Center for Performing Arts. There's no the. They did it, they did it like Facebook. There's an idea, though. Mm. Why not the show live? I had talked to somebody about from... streaming it, and I don't remember where that went. Actually, mm. somebody, uh, was it you? Did you, why, are we going to stream it? Here comes Ashley. We cannot stream it because we're playing covers and not original music, and we don't have the rights to those covers. So when live music is performed, it, the college radio station does not have the uh, license to play cover songs. Not that I'm aware of. No, oh, yeah. but if it's a recorded song, it could be a cover song, because this is actually a cover song. And yeah. I'm sure you've played tons of cover songs. On the yeah, air. if it's recorded, yes, but mm -hmm. if it's an artist covering an artist mm. live, we can't. 
Um, but if it's recorded and released on an album, right. we can. It's very strange. I don't know. What, I don't understand that. And Did you ask Professor Williams about a? I do not know Professor Williams. Chris Williams. He has three S's he's, at the end of the Chris. That's right. He's in communication department. Uh, no, I did not. And he's an attorney. Oh. And he, I think he's on communication attorney, rather than ask Professor Guthrie. Mm-hmm. I know because I've never heard of that. The university has a blanket license. Right. Well, we're getting too involved here in <laughs> four. But yes, but this is Our fascinating guest is stuff. Waiting. I know. Well, we'll tell you real quick. So that was Rob Fusari. Uh, go to musicbiz101wp.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Comes out every Sunday and every Wednesday afternoon, which tells you about who our guest is. And again, we said our guest is Lori Majewski, who's um, an amazing human being. We will talk with her in a moment. Follow us on Instagram, the Twitter, the face of the book, at musicbiz101wp. Follow the podcast iTunes and SoundCloud. Thanks to the folks at Van Dyne, Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management. With artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Kith, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB CPA.com when you are ready. We want to give ready. our thanks to what? We're ready. <laughs> now is time. We're going to call Aaron right after this and sign up with him for our business management because all the money is streaming in quickly. Millions and millions of portions of portions of a penny. Thanks to Christine Vey, Wealth Manager and President of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many, many of the professionals at William Patterson University to manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. If you are looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement, or if you have questions on anything from investment portfolio management to insurance retirement planning, you should give Christine a call at 732-455-1510. Or email her, Christine at... Oi. Veywealth.com for advisement. Leave the last oi off for savings. <laughs> That's right. We want to give a few final quick shout outs to Sprint. Yes, Sprint, which is actually my phone carrier and sold mm. me my phone. Um, Ruby's Travel, local Wayne, New Jersey based travel agency, and Columbia Bank for sponsoring our big 80s event on Friday. We're bringing mm-hmm. that up because part of our deal with them is that we would talk about them on the air for a certain number of times. I was in there March today. At Columbia Bank. Yes, I was. I made a deposit. No kidding. So Columbia Bank is your bank. It is your bank, too. It is everybody's bank. It's the Bank of New Jersey. Well, okay. <laughs> but it's also Highmark Publishing's bank. Oh, really? For our what, what, what is Highmark Publishing? What have they published? Gee, I don't know, but they did six of them. Wow, six managing your band. Available since June 6 and 6 6, 2017. Go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble, backwingstore.com. And then go to our website to read an article about how to make money from local shows because we're going to be talking with Lori Majewski today about her co hosting a local show that's coming up in two days from this. And if you're listening to the podcast, it happened, you missed it. I want my, la- I want my 80s, the best of MTV's ladies, April 6, 7 30 p.m. William Patterson University, Shea Center for the Performing Arts, but there's no the in presenting. And then uh, opening up for us is the School of Rock House Band at 7.05. They're playing at 7.20. Then 7.30, it all starts with Lori. So, Great. is Lori, Lori is here? <laughs> so Lori's going to come. We want to give away a pair of tickets to this show. If Uh-oh. you If you would like to win a pair of tickets to I Want My 80s, the best of MTV's ladies, send a tweet to, you want to be, to the, to at Brave New Radio. It's all one word. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we'll go through at Brave New Radio. Send a tweet. Say, I want my 80s tickets. Send it there. 
even and if, if you you're going to give them to your mother. You may give them to your because if you're a college student, your mother wants to go. Right, because you know nothing about the 80s. <laughs> That's right. So, Steve, did you know that Lori Majewski is a radio host, author, writer, and editor? In 2017, she joined SiriusXM as co-host of Feedback, the daily morning show on volume, the mm -hmm. first ever talk channel about musica. She also hosts Lust, Lust for Lists which is her weekly-themed, quote-unquote, mixtape program on SiriusXM's First Wave. In Year of Our Lord 2014, Majewski, comma, Laurie, co-authored Mad World. Read it. It's a great book. An mm -hmm. oral history of new wave artists and songs that define the 1980s, which Amazon and BuzzFeed named among the best books of the year. Majewski writes for Women's Health, Rolling Stone, Good Housekeeping, Yahoo, Yahoo! music billboard and more previously she was an editor-in-chief and co-founder of teen people previously she was also a teen herself and uh, she was an executive editor at entertainment weekly us weekly people.com and ym which stands for what you are <laughs> you are the sun i bet you've spoken to lana richie Lori is on the Lori, are you there now i am it's ym young myth which became young and modern ah really were you yeah. there when they changed from Young Miss to Young Mo Young and Modern? Yes, I was. Were you in favor of that? Um, yeah, it was uh, the beginning of the 90s, and it was time for a change. No one was really going around by Miss anymore, maybe Miz, but there was already a Miz magazine, so probably wasn't going to change it to Young Miz. Interesting. That's, mm -hmm. that's a whole, the whole thing. What were you doing at YM at the time? Um, well, I... I was an intern at Sassy Magazine, mm -hmm. and that was a far cooler teen girl mag, but um, I didn't get a job there. So mm -hmm. uh, after that, I went to the Jersey Journal and wrote obituaries for a brief time, mm -hmm. and, um, but, and then I, I got a job offer at YM, and I was like, you know, life's what you make it, and uh, even though when I went there, it felt like it was about zits and prom and boys... Um, I brought my love of music to the mix and um, brought a lot of music to the magazine. And after a while, we were covering Gwen Stefani and Brandy and Tony Braxton. And, and that kind of kicked off me covering music for a living. Very good story. <laughs> yes, thank you. So that, that was Lloyd. Thank you for joining us. Yes, and okay. our next guest is going to be... All right. No, we're kidding. This has been good so far. Lori, you got off to a really good start, so thank you very much. So, Lori, why the 80s? Why did that intrigue you to get so deeply involved with it? Well, I came of age in the 80s, mm -hmm. and at the time, I wasn't like rah-rah 80s because I didn't know much else because I was really young in the 70s, so I really didn't have much to compare it to. But now, looking back... Um, the 80s are kind of like how in the 80s we thought of the 50s. Do you remember, like, there, when I was in high school, we had a 50s dance, and by that time, Happy Days was on, re, was in reruns. But we mm -hmm. loved Happy Days. By the way, Marion Ross was at Sirius today. Really? Wow. Ross in how, person. How old is she? Is she, is she like 89 years old or something now? I don't know. She looked fantastic. She has a book out. Great. Um, and she was there, so I was really excited. So, yeah, the, we kind of loved the 50s and the 80s, and probably because it was that post-war time of innocence, hoop skirts, saddle shoes, 
you know, young love, romance. And I think we kind of think of the 80s today in the same way. It's very colorful, you know, the fashion, the makeup, the hair, and the music for me most of all. And, um, you know, it seems like things got really dark in the 90s. You know, we had Gen Xers you know, on Prozac, and uh, everyone doesn't, you know, slacker generation, and um, of course, after that, you know, we have 9-11. It feels like the 80s is, you know, the end of the innocence. Mm-hmm. And it was Reaganomics through the beginning of the 80s anyway, uh, actually yeah. for the first eight years. So there was sort of a, um, you know, I always look at it that, that it was the video error and why not have a president who was a former TV movie star as rock many times predicts rather than reacts uh, what you know what the just what the culture of the country is well unfortunately that's kind of the way the 80s is repeating itself isn't it um, mm -hmm. two ways one we have a TV star for a president and two we, uh, the Cold War suddenly is back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. could I bring something up about just about that exact topic sure. with both of you? Because, Lori, in your book, Mad World, an oral history of new wave artists and songs that define the 1980s, I was reading about, um, what you guys wrote about Devo. And, um, Devo, there's, there's a thing that you wrote in here, um, back then. You, the world wasn't just getting dumber. It was actively devolving into a state of passive, drooling idiocy where any kind of atrocity was accepted as long as it was wrapped in a bright package. Mm. And I read that, and I was thinking exactly of what you guys are just talking about, that that's current day. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, um, they were so right. I mean, not everyone knows Devo stands for de-evolution. De right. And um, that's exactly, that, that was their point, except when they did a song like Whip It, um, people didn't realize that it wasn't about masturbation. <laughs> right. It's actually about way deeper stuff. And they would go to radio stations and they'd be like, wow, yeah, Whip It, Whip It Good. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, if that's what, it takes to get on the radio. We'll play along, but actually, we're much we're we're much deeper than that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of these people from the '80s, these new wave artists, who uh, sort of get a um, little scoffed at that their music was was sugary or or you know wasn't really that deep. But then, exactly if you if you read your book, and I was reading about the guys in Devo and um, the guys in Tears for Fears and Adam Ant, a number of these people they were art students, and they were very thought-provoking people, mm -hmm. and the music just didn't reflect it as much, or the way we accepted it, we didn't accept it as thought-provoking, we accepted it as this sort of answer to punk that was just laced with keyboards. Well, yeah, keyboards were coming into vogue, and MTV was, was happening, so suddenly you couldn't look like you were in Boston or Kansas two of the most unforgettable bands in terms of looks. I can't picture a member of Kansas or Boston, but mm -hmm. I can picture a member of a flock of seagulls. And that's kind of like the point is that even if they had deep music, um, they also had to play up their image because suddenly these guys had to be on MTV. Mm -hmm. And that's why um, a lot of the times 80s music, 80s 
in my the, the, the stuff I really focus on in Mad World is the um, alternative, the beginning of alternative, which is post-punk, new wave, and synth pop. And um, these were bands that were, by and large, coming out of the UK, and they were born of the rip of David Bowie. So they knew about sound and vision. They mm -hmm. knew that the visuals were important. I mean, the first the first videos come from Queen and from David Bowie. Mm -hmm. um, but here in America, we really didn't obsess over Bowie until uh, the Let's Dance period, which is 1983, and again, MTV. Um, but if you look really deeply into bands like, like um, Tears for Fears, you know, they, there was a lot going on there. I mean, their, their song Mad World, which is the title of my book, um, you know, they were really going deep. They were basically getting to the point of, uh, what is it, the scream theory? I'm forgetting it right now. Primal scream. Primal yeah. scream. Yeah. Primal scream theory. I mean, that's the whole, that's what Tears for Fears means. And, you know, if you go to a song like I'll Stop the World and Melt With You, which is kind of like a de facto 1980s new wave anthem, basically what it means is I'll Stop the World and Melt With You, um, let's make one love, let's make love one more time while a bomb is coming at us from Russia. Right. <laughs> you know, that's mm -hmm. basically what it means when I'll melt with you is, oops, we just got hit with a nuclear bomb. <laughs> so when you looked under the very shiny images, the pretty images, th there was some dark stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. OMD, another band in my book, um, Anola Gay, one of their biggest hits is about the airplane that dropped the first atomic bomb over mm -hmm. Japan. Mm -hmm. So I, what I wanted to do with this book was I wanted to really focus on what has lasted, the music. The music is why I can't go a, a week without hearing Everybody Wants to Rule the World. You know, if you turn on The Voice or American Idol, why are these bands covered so often? Because they wrote great pop tunes. It's just at the time, with MTV coming about, they also wore pretty silly haircuts. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were written off a little bit for that. And I'm pretty psyched that I think our book restored some credibility, gave them some credibility. They probably didn't have as much before. Yeah, there, there also during that time was the, um, the idea that music now was going to be written strictly for video, and that the music was going to suffer because it was going if because if a person didn't write a tune that could be visually great and on TV, then um, it wouldn't make it. And I, know I mean, that's what older people thought. That's what, like, Blue Oyster Cult yeah, thought. Yeah, But the truth is, you know, no one ever says David Bowie didn't write great music. You know, mm -hmm. it's, just, it's, it's just that he also knew how to present him in, himself in a really exciting visual manner. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, by the time we get to the 90s, you know, I'm in college and I... Um, I'm getting my first job at Spin Magazine, and I am miserable because all the rock stars are dressing like the guy on the corner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I finally get to, to work at a music magazine, and they're, like, looking like lumberjacks, That's and they wild. don't wash their yeah. hair? This isn't what I know <laughs> rock stars to look like, and... and you know, for me, that's why I love the 80s, because rock stars were rock stars, unabashedly so. What do you think are the two strongest um, styles 
of music that have lasted from the 80s? Um, well, definitely, I, I mean, when we talk about the 80s, we, we just mentioned keyboard and synthesizers were coming in, and synth pop was such an important part of that. Uh, Depeche Mode, I, I mentioned OMD, New Order, mm -hmm. um, Duran Duran. Uh, I think that now you look at EDM, you know, Depeche Mode was one of the first EDM bands, really. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at a band in the 90s like Nine Inch Nails, that's really in a reimagining of Depeche Mode, inspired mm -hmm. by Depeche Mode. Um, so I think those bands, and, and, and Depeche Mode's still selling out arenas all over this country. They were the third biggest touring band of all last year behind Guns N' Roses and U2. Mm -hmm. So um, that, I think definitely that type of music has lasted. Um, and and hip-hop, the rise of hip-hop mm -hmm. in the 80s is undeniable. In the 90s is what they call their, the golden age of hip-hop with N.W.A. and um, Dr. Dre comes into focus with The Chronic. But in the 80s is when, you know, we really first see Grandmaster Flash. Yeah, the whole Bronx. Yeah, the, the Bronx explosion and white lines. And then, of course, toward the end of the 80s when... Run DMC hooks up with Aerosmith, mm -hmm. it's it game over. Mm -hmm. I was talking to one of my classes today about uh, Daryl McDaniels and Run DMC, and I was asking who... We'll in be this at our event. Yes, exactly, and, that, and that I was talking about the event, and uh, I was going to ask you, could you reflect a little bit about the, the impact of Run DMC on music in the 80s and what they did specifically with that Aerosmith video? Well, you know, I don't know if a lot of people realize this. That Aerosmith video, um, Aerosmith and Run DMC uh, Walk This Way, their collaboration on the Aerosmith song, was the video was filmed at the Park Theater in Union City. Oh. And um, here in New Jersey. And uh, I know a lot of people who were there that day. And um, no one knew who Aerosmith was at that point. Aerosmith was old, like washed up rock mm -hmm. stars, mm -hmm. long hair. Who cares about them? Um, and Run DMC comes along, and they collaborate on this song. And, I mean, you think five or six years later, you know, Aerosmith are huge again. You know, they, mm -hmm. they go on to have huge albums, don't want to miss a thing. They have a resurgence. And it can all be really pegged back to that Run DMC rejuvenation of, of the Aerosmith brand. And that's because hip-hop was so cool and there's this part in the video, I don't know if you guys remember, when uh, they're basically performing, Run DMC is performing in one room, and across the, the way, uh, Aerosmith is performing in one room. And you have, it kind of reminds me of that commercial, is it um, Too Great Taste and Taste Great Together? Is that, is that a, somebody put a cookie, and I'm trying to think, is it Twix? Or is it... Really yeah, one of those, right? Kit Kat or... This idea that there's this accident that happens. Well, I think at one point, they're both annoying each other because the right. rap, they're trying to play rap in one room and they're trying to play rock and roll in another room. And at one point, Steven Tyler, you know, sticks the microphone through the wall right. and starts singing to run DMC on the other side. And that's when they start to combine sounds. And it's interesting, that's such a smart concept for the video, because that's exactly 
what happened. In the beginning of the 80s, Run DMC, I mean, rap in general, is more um, less, tech, less texturized. It's more like fun bleep bloops on keyboards with, like, singing to backups, mm-hmm. like the real mm-hmm. Roxanne, UTFO, um, and Jam On It by Nucleus. It's kind of like, kind of like spacey almost, and then somebody raps over it. By the time you get to Run DMC, they basically, they're bona fide rock stars. They take rap and they make it into something so much bigger, which mm-hmm. is hip-hop, which is mm-hmm. a cultural thing, not just a musical thing. Yeah, and... Um we really credit Dr. J, Dr. Dre for putting in the uh, sort of the counter melodies behind rap and created actually songs rather than raps. Uh, and that was, again, helping the accessibility because, of course, that's what the Run DMC and uh, Aerosmith tune did, is it just introduced to both sides. And... Uh, there was not any uh, threatening message or anything. Just like when we had the, uh, who was it, I Can Beat My Tyson, uh, DJ and Jazzy Jeff and... Uh, DJ Jazzy Smith? Jeff. And yeah. The and that was the same thing because it was so accessible because the white audience then uh, just found it accessible and they enjoyed it because it had this sense of humor to it rather than the message that, of course, Sugar Hill Gang and everybody else was doing in the early days, um, you know, presenting basically a newspaper from the ghetto to the kid in Kansas that didn't know anything about the South Bronx or, you know, or Compton or whatever. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good way of putting it. Presenting a newspaper to those, it's it's it was exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Did I see um, the get down on? Yeah, I love that. I can't believe they didn't renew it. I know it, oh, it went for two seasons. I just think it was too expensive. I think yeah. it was such a lushly produced. Oh, it was show. great. It was. I thought it was kind of like a West Side Story. It was yeah. so beautifully yeah. done. Yeah, beautifully done. So it that's could, the story. Just in case anyone's listening, the Get Down on the, on Netflix, Netflix, brought to you by Boz Lerman, is the story of the beginning of the beginnings of rap, the first rap battles in the Bronx when disco gives way to rap. Right, right. Dave. Yes. Well, speaking of the uh, Daryl McDaniel's and his uh, his influence, so my daughter, who's thirteen, my youngest daughter. Uh, wears Adidas sneakers, and she wears their white Adidas with black stripes. Oh, really? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, which is really cool. And um, so, so we actually sell toe Adidas. Yes, <laughs> and uh, we had a a band practice because at this '80s show coming up, uh, DMC is going to be there, and we had a band practice. And so, so I took one of her sneakers and I had him autograph it for ah. her, and I, and I sort of surprised her and brought it back, and uh, she was excited. And then she showed her choir teacher today and she was even more excited uh, about it so it was kind of a cool thing you know cool, he yeah. spans generations that music yeah run dmc sure yes another uh, artist we have Lori, at this event i want my 80s the best fem tv's ladies on april 6th here at william patterson university is chris butler who was the mastermind behind the waitresses and you write about him in your book mad world and oral history of new wave artists and songs that define the 1980s what can you tell us about what you know about chris butler and the waitresses well, it's funny because my co-author is, we, we basically take roles in this book. Like, I'm the unabashed fan. I'm the, you know, passionate, obsessive. Mm-hmm. He's kind of like the surly, 
British. He's, he's from Scotland. The, the, the surly curmudgeon who's more like someone who reads The Enemy, um, which is like the very, uh, you know, the, the British newspaper where everyone, even though they love something, they, they, they what do they say? We, we, um, we hate it when our friends become successful. Like mm-hmm. the more successful something comes, the more they faux hate it. <laughs> yeah. right. So what's, what I'm trying to get at is my, as knowing that background, my co-author Jonathan loves the waitresses, mm. loves the waitresses. I mean, it's kind of funny. Um, we have this running joke that he doesn't leave his house. He lives in L.A. He's a screenwriter, too, and he doesn't leave his house. The first line when he's writing about the waitresses, he says, there was a time when I would leave my house. I would willingly go and see bands, and I would harbor the hope that they would be good. During this uncharacteristic period of my life, I suffered through what seemed like a lifetime of bands who would just stand there. But the visiting American bands, they didn't just stand there. The B-52s didn't just stand there. The Cramps didn't just stand there. And neither did the waitresses. Mm. And he basically goes on to talk about how they were this interesting mix of, like, you know, what would seem like bohemian and politicians and artists. And they didn't sing these polite songs. Like, I know what boys like is this, like, basically kind of like, horny little song, <laughs> mm-hmm. except the girl, what I love as the, as the girl listening to the song is that um, the girl gets the best of you. You know, she says, you know, I know what boys like, I, I know what guys wanted, you know, what guys want, but she doesn't let them have it. You know, at the end of the song, she says, suckers. I just always thought mm-hmm. the humor in the waitresses is what really drew me to them. And, um, if you remember, they also did the theme song to a, to a show called Square Pegs. Square Pegs was a show that introduced the world to Sarah Jessica Parker. And it was a, a little sitcom that ran for only one season. But it really showed that there was this new wave in the 80s. Devo performed at the prom on, on, huh. on, on Square Pegs. Um, and they, the kids had missing persons posters up in their rooms, and they said things totally and radical. They were, they were very much 80s kids, and it was the first time I saw the 80s um, portrayed on television, like the way I knew the 80s. It was, sort of, it was sort of the 80s version of Freaks and Geeks, which was a, a 90s show uh-huh. in a way. Freaks and Geeks took place in the '80s, but was um, came out in the '90s. Yes, yeah, so that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It was it was kind of like that actually, and it only ran for one season, but it was so much fun. And the uh, the waitresses did the theme song, and they actually performed at the prom too, I think. Uh, and then they also had that song "Christmas Rapping," yeah. which is probably one of the most covered, most oft covered songs in music history. I mean, everyone's done it. Uh, I think Chris Butler quipped, even the Spice Girls couldn't ruin it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think that's the kind of song that that got his kids through college, you know? The the waitresses didn't exist for that long, but their songs are undeniable. I mean, they were featured on Glee. They're the kind of songs that today, when we think of the 80s, I think people... Like the humor of the '80s, the color of the '80s. You think of the waitresses' songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is yeah. that is very true. Um, yeah. And it's fine. We're going to. Be- he also has that interesting story too, though, that Chris Butler from the waitresses comes out of that Ohio scene that also gave us 
The Pretenders, and Devo. Mm. And uh, they, all these bands are born in um, the wake of the Kent State shootings. And I believe Chris knew someone who was killed on campus that day at the Kent State shootings. Mm. You, we had him on the air two or three years ago. And yeah. if, if uh, listeners want to go back and find that podcast with Chris Butler, he talks about that day because he was there at Kent State when the uh, National Guard was shooting and yeah one of the four people killed was his friend who got mm. up and went running I think to help somebody out and uh, that person got shot so he one thing Chris Butler was always upset about that I remember him saying was Neil Young wrote the song Ohio in response to that and Neil Young never uh, donated any revenue uh, for, whether it's publishing or anything of that song to victims mm. families of Really? No. And, he, and he, you could tell how bitter Chris is yeah. at Neil Young for that. Wow. Mm. I didn't realize that. Yeah. It's interesting. And we're going to see you tomorrow. Chris Butler is going to be visiting with you tomorrow morning on your show. Yes. On my show, Feedback on SiriusXM Volume, Channel 106, um, it's a talk channel about music. We play a little music, but mostly snippets. We just um, we talk about music. It's it's a place where music obsessives kind of gather. Like today, we debated the um, best American song ever, and Ohio huh. was one that somebody suggested. Actually, interesting. Mm. Um, speaking about the fact that you, for your book, you interviewed all you know a ton of people, a lot of people who you really loved and you do it now for a living um ashley weltner who, who is our engineer would like to read a tweet to you if you don't mind all right all right this is a question from queen damo that's her uh, twitter handle you have interviewed members from duran duran whom you clearly loved what advice would you give to get over the fanatic feeling when interviewing someone you really looked up to without sounding like a fanatic <laughs> well first of all it's not loved ED, it's love. <laughs> I am still passionately, madly in love with this band, <laughs> mm. still. Um, and uh, the first time I ever interviewed them was for my own fanzine called Too Much Information, The Definitive Duranzine. And I basically put this fanzine together when I was in college um, with the express uh, meaning like my whole desire to do was to interview the band and i was like if i had a band if i have a whole magazine dedicated to the band they'll give me an interview mm -hmm. <laughs> um so i did that and then i also interviewed them for my college paper um and then th i would say that right away i knew that i didn't want to come across as a fan as much as i was a fan um they can tell you're a fan because you have great knowledge they can tell you're a fan because you're enthusiastic but, um, you know, you can't go down that Chris Farley route. Remember the Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live? Yeah, yeah. Like, right. And Paul McCartney's on, and he's interviewing Paul McCartney. He's like, remember that time you were, like, in the Beatles? All right. <laughs> yeah, cool. um, you know, my thing was, I, I am unlike most celebrity journalists in that I don't, I'm not afraid to show that I'm a fan because I find so many um, interviewers they're kind of like, they're jaded, and they come across as like they want to take their heroes down a peg. My yeah. heroes are my heroes because I put them on a pedestal, and I, I don't want to see them as human. Like like I said, I didn't love the whole grunge era. I don't need you to dress like the guy down the block. I, I want you to be up on a pedestal. Make and, it alive, yeah. But I can, when I sit down to interview them, though, 
it's it's different. Like I I want to come to it super prepared. Um, I want to talk to them not just about their glory years and things that people have asked about a million times. I want to ask them things um, that I know they're interested in. In fact, my first question whenever I interview one of my heroes usually has to do with their heroes because we all love something. We're all fans of something. And the easiest way to get them to open up is to ask them about their heroes because that's why they got into music in the first place. Um, and that, you know, when, if you start there, that you, you're going to have really great results. Because mm-hmm. even I, I remember talking to, to Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode about this. Like, I was telling him how much I love his new record and this song and that song. And he was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I said something about, you know, but I, you know, I read that you were a huge fan of The Damned and that you actually belong to The the damned fan club and he was like i had a rubber bat that hung from my mirror and he was like that was from the fan club and he lit up and then i was in so Mm -hmm. i think that's my best advice is to ask your heroes about their heroes all right so dave we haven't talked about the musical headliner for friday night friday night's musical headliner is taylor dane yes who had a number of hits of the late 80s, including the number one hit with Depend by Diane Warren, Love Will Lead You Back. Right. Laura, are you a fan? Huge ballad. Huge ballad. And um, Tell It to My Heart was probably mm-hmm. my favorite. When I worked at Teen People, we had um, a karaoke Christmas party, and all of us were kind of doing our doofy little ditty versions of whatever, and suddenly Taylor Dane got on stage and sang <laughs> Tell It to My Heart, and we were all like blown away we were like first of all who got her here and and second of all i mean she actually she has an incredible voice like we're all just like karaokeing half drunk but she was just i i can't wait to see to hear what she sounds like today because she had such pipes such pipes Mm. i i hear she still does uh, I've seen some stuff online of her singing so recently, and uh, we had a great discussion with her about a week ago, Yeah, actually. And uh, what's interesting about Taylor Dane, what I really took from this, is she is a really smart businesswoman. Mm-hmm. And she's probably, I would guess, 55. Um, she's from Long Island, but she's she's a real no-nonsense person who yeah, really gets it. Yeah. Yeah. So there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll be welcoming. If she she moved away, right? She doesn't. She's live in L.A. She's in L.A. now. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be welcoming her back to the tri-state area. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who's your co? Who is your co-host? Your co-MC of I Want My Eighties, the best of MTV's ladies. Um. Well, you just gave us a little hint. My co-host <laughs> on Friday night, or I will be his co-host, more like it, is um, the wonderful Mark Goodman who is also one of my workmates on SiriusXM Volume. He hosts the afternoon show, Debatable. And, um, you know, we came back into each other's orbits a few years ago. He's always at Rick Springfield. He's best friends with Rick Springfield. And Rick Springfield's one of my heroes, hotties. And I, I would see him backstage at Rick concerts. But a few years ago, I was at a Duran Duran concert, and he was sitting next to me and... We kind of bonded. Afterwards, I brought him backstage, and um, we, uh, I think it was with Rick Springfield's book agent or something, and we, we, we hung out with the band, we had a great time, and then about six months later, I got a call to audition for Sirius, 
and um, I was never in radio. I was always a writer. And the person who called me in said that I had a bunch of people who recommended me, and one of them was Mark. And I have to say, Mark has been a champion of mine since I got there. He's someone that I could always ask for advice, and we, we'll be talking, and he's just... It's one of those things where you're talking to someone and, like, suddenly their lips are moving, but you don't hear a thing that's coming out of their mouth because all I'm thinking is, he's Mark Goodman. He was a VJ. Like, he babysat me while I came, when I came home from school and I watched TV all day. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you're like, what? I, he's my coworker? Um, he's, he's just fantastic. Uh, he loves Bruce Springsteen. I love Bruce Springsteen. Um, still as cute as can be and such a great presence. Like, he will, he's so charismatic. He will be a great, this is going to be his second um, year in a row, right? That he's yes. yes. He was here last year and he's back, yes. Yeah, it will be really fun just to do that with him. And he's a very genuine person. I've met him maybe five or six times at this point. And he's just a really nice guy. Yeah, he yeah. really, really is. And um, I, I almost wasn't prepared for that because, you know, I'm sure he went through his phase where he was, you know, one of the hottest guys in New York, bachelor, like every girl liked, loved him, wanted him. You know, it can't be easy to go through that, but now I see him with his wife. He's huge animal lover, loves his doggies, and I'm like, wow, he's just the nicest, sweetest guy. He's a, he's a real, and he, he loves music, and he knows music so well, and he lived 80s music, so you really can't ask for a better host of this. Yeah, so, so that's great. So we've talked about everybody in the show uh, except for Rob Fusari. And have you ever met Rob before? I have not. Okay. I have not. You're going to, you would love, you would, it would, would have been actually great to have you and Rob on the air. I had Rob on the air uh, during our spring break. We did a, a two hour show where we just played 80s music that influenced. His hits like Bootalicious and Paparazzi and all the songs that he wrote with single name, four syllable titles. <laughs> and, um, and, and it was really interesting. So the things like you're talking about when you're getting into the depth of the lyrics and the style of these artists, he does the exact same thing. And it, it's really interesting. I had some of my friends who, Laura, you and I are pretty much the same age, so we both kind of grew up in the 80s. We're all around this music. And I had some of my friends who I was in with, within bands back then. They listened back to the interview with Rob, and they were, you know, their jaws dropped because of the, the stuff he could talk about. So I'm going to actually have them read your book because it's, it's just as cool, all this stuff. So you, you would love Rob. Well, I really want to ask Rob about working on um, the follow-up to ABC's The Lexicon of Love album. A few years ago, it, basically another chapter in my book is about ABC and one of the, we think, one of the greatest new wave albums of the 1980s is the lexicon of love that has like Shoot That Poison Arrow and The Look of Love. Um, and he worked on the long, long, long awaited follow-up that just came out a few years ago wow. and uh, co-wrote a bunch of songs on that and worked on full orchestra versions of the songs with Ann Dudley, who worked on the original record. So that's, um, just as a music geek, I really want to ask him about that. And then he actually got to go on tour with ABC in the UK. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, he was our opening act, and by sort of the end of the tour, he went from being sort of a solo guy out there to basically most of the guys in ABC were his backing band as he opened up for basically his backing band, who was ABC. He said it was just this amazing experience because he's our age too and he loved abc 
Oh, cool. So, yeah, That's that'll be a good conversation because he'll love talking to you about that. And then, of course, he has all those hits that he wrote with um, with uh, Destiny's Child. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah. I worked at uh, Teen People, and we really championed the beginning. And th those early songs are all his. Yes, yes. Like, yeah, no, 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 no. And right. uh, Bootylicious. Mm -hmm. He produced that, I think. So, yeah, he's what? that's pretty cool. Jersey boy. Love yeah. that. Livingston, New Jersey. So that's We would like to, may we read another tweet to you? Sure. You're so good to us, doing so much for us. And it goes back to the whole interviewing part of your job. All right, I do not know how to say this person's name, so I'm just going to call them Jay. Um, Jay asks, I know you have interviewed many artists. Who was the most challenging interview in your career and why? Ha. I don't even have to think a second. Um, Bob Geldof. Mm, Bob Geldof, who is known as Saint Bob in uh, <laughs> the UK, he was the person who gave us Band-Aid and Live-Aid. He basically kicks off the entire um, charity single, charity single and charity concert trend with Do They Know It's Christmas. We hear the song every year at Christmas. And um, Bob basically was watching the BBC one night and he saw this report on a famine in Africa. And he was like, the government isn't doing anything. The British government, no government was doing anything to help these starving people in Ethiopia. And so he's like, you know, what, maybe we can write a song and raise some money, you know, and maybe we can do something. And he called up a bunch of his friends. That These are all the people. There's a chapter on this in my book. These are all the people from, from the New Wave uh, the British invasion era of, of the 80s. And um, they raised millions of dollars. I, in fact, my Uber driver in L.A. last year told me he's alive because basically the money raised by, by, uh, by that single fed him and his family. Um, and I thought, wow, this is someone I've always wanted to interview. But then when I get to interview him, it was for the, I want to say, 30th anniversary of Do They Know It's Christmas? And I was interviewing all the artists. Sting, Boy George, Simon Le Bon, George Michael. They were all giving me wonderful memories of this day. Not, Boy, uh, not, not Bob Geldof. He said basically when he hears the song uh, at the beginning of Christmas season every year, it's usually at his butcher's. Really? I hope I can curse on WPC Radio. WPU Radio. <laughs> Well, that. well, you We're did. <laughs> right. We have a delay. <laughs> yeah. We, so we, we hit a button and our student, our, you got it? Our student engineer was able to, she has very quick hands, so she was able to block it out. We're on satellite on Sirius, so they encourage such mouth. Yeah. But I was quoting someone. I didn't say that myself. <laughs> there we go. Fair use. That's right. <laughs> it's, right. It's, not, it's not her word. So it was disappointing because uh -huh. here was someone that I revered and I thought had done such amazing things for so many millions and millions of people but the truth is even though that interview was challenging and he was really mean to me like he cursed at me he mm. was like why the f do you want to know this why the f do you want to know that and i was like oh, thank god this is on the phone and he can't see like the tears running down my face mm. i mean it was awful but sometimes and this is the moral of the story sometimes a really challenging interview like that you, you get to understand someone. The truth is, he, by the end of the conversation, he said, I never wanted to be a saint. I wanted to be a rock star. And by the time Band-Aid came out, his band was all washed up, yeah. um, the Boomtown Rats. Yeah. 
and he, you know, he was kind of jealous of all the bands that he asked to be a part of his charity record that were at that point way bigger than him. And he became known as the guy that wants to save the world. He inspires Bono. He inspires Sting. That's all well and good, but he just wanted to be a rock star. And so he wasn't mad at me. He was kind of mad at the world and himself. Mm. So it was a really good interview, and it yielded really great quotes, but um, it was hard to do. That's interesting. These are good questions because... I think they make sense. If you're listening, you may never get a chance to interview your hero, but you will go on a job interview, for example. And a lot of people who listen to the show are interested in getting into the music industry, and they may be students or they may be somebody who's in the business right now, but they've always been very bad at, at the actual job interview. And I think just um, the first question going back a little bit where you were asked, uh, you, how do you make, what was the question where you said, talk to your interview person about who their influences heroes. were? Yeah, heroes. You know, that's a great way to just figure out if you're on a job interview, how do I lighten this up and turn it into a conversation as opposed to them giving me the third degree and me desperately trying to find the right answer that they want to hear. So that's why. Yeah, and asking them about themselves. Yeah. So it's, mm -hmm. it's like that thing where, you know, you want to come across as you really want the job. So you can sit there quiet and they'll ask the questions and you can answer the questions or you can make it more of a conversation and you could be an active participant in your interview. And um, that makes someone who's interviewing you for the job think, wow, they really want this. Wow, they'd probably be really good at this if they really want this. Mm -hmm. You know, they seem, they seem into this. Because really people who are interviewing for jobs, uh, interviewing candidates, they want to find someone who wants to be there, right? So if you act interested, I think that's, that to me is really important. And traditionally, um, curmudgeonly, music journalists try to act like they're too cool for school. And I've never subscribed to that. Yeah. I've always been someone who's been like, no, I actually do love music. That's kind of why I'm here. Yeah. Why should I pretend I don't? Yeah, they, they, they act like they know more than the, the artist does. Yeah. You know, and they're going to trip them up. Yes, they're looking to, for, for this trip, for this, you right. know, gotcha. I'm looking go. for a conversation. I'm looking to engage someone and to chat and to have a really good time. And they leave feeling good, and we, we, we leave learning more about them. Yeah. You know, that's to me what I want to do. The gotcha conversations, that, that you may get a viral quote out of it, but in the long term, does the person want to come back on your show? You know? Mm-hmm. Have, you, have the, you ever read any Lester Bangs, like uh, his yes. psychotic sure. reaction in Carburetor Dung, I think was the book. And um, he interviewed Lou Reed sort of in that book famously. <laughs> Two of them are made for each other. Yes. Yeah. And they, ba they basically hated each yeah. other, yet they couldn't stop spending time with each other for these interviews. And yeah. kind of what you were just sort of getting into about the that was the critic who wanted to appear yeah, yeah. better and smarter than the rock star, yeah. you know, who was just fighting back. It's very D interesting. Dave and I have been doing the show, actually, for a few years, but our, our uh, I guess, most challenging interview was last year when we had uh, we were in Nashville and we interviewed Carl Palmer. And he, even now, he's probably touching 70 years old, and he comes in with bicycle shorts and... Uh, just like he was just working out and so on. And he comes in and he says, okay, chaps, I'm going to give you 20 minutes. And if you ask me anything that you can find on Google, you can forget it. I will not even last that long. So we were, you know, okay, let's, uh, 
And we had a student co-host, so we said, you know, let us handle it, you know, because she was so nervous and she had all the regular stock questions that we knew he had answered 50,000 times. So because Dave here is a, a drummer, I figured the best thing to do would sort of like break the ice and have Dave talk to Carl just about drumming. I don't know what the question was. I remember something about posture, I think it was. or yeah, Hurting or your back on the scene. Yeah, something. Yeah. And then he wound up staying for 40 minutes. And uh, by the end of that, he said, you know, this isn't half as bad as I thought it was going to be yeah. and, <laughs> and so on. So, it, it, you know, it was a challenge and we were sort of up for it, not trying to be better than him, but trying to give him the mic in any way he wanted to just take off. And he did. He talked about the business and he talked about uh, bad contracts and, and getting pieces of uh, being in bands and not getting uh, full shares. And, and so he on. would start talking about, I'm not going to get into this and then sort yeah. of change the subject, but then right, come right back and get into exactly what he said he wasn't going to get into and yeah. tell us the whole thing he said he didn't want to. It was right. really interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yes. But see, asking him about drumming, you, straight to his heart. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Warmed him up. Yeah. Yes. So we have about a minute left. Um, we, that we, went fast. It's, it's, I know. Oh. And, and here, uh, we're, we, one last sort of lightning quick tweet for you. Sure. All right. This one is from Christine Welsh. Laurie, great interview with Rick Springfield uh, in January 2018. Such an important topic. When interviewing artists for Mad World, which story behind the song surprised slash, slash intrigued you the most? Well, Rick Springfield was incredible because he talked about being suicidal. And you think someone like Rick has it all, why would he be suicidal? So there you find the real person behind the rock star. For my book, um, I was just talking about this today, Vince Clark. When we think of him, we think of Depeche Mode, Erasure, Yazoo, synthesizer music. But he talked about how much he loved the songwriting of Simon and Garfunkel. And so... Don't always look for the obvious. Sometimes mm. people will surprise you. Mm -hmm. Wow, it was a great, great answer. Right. And we should say that one of our former students was Rick Springfield's manager for many years. I don't know if she still is. Alana. <laughs> well, she, yeah. she got married, so uh, I don't know which name she goes by. <laughs> right. Just, just Alana. Just kind of like Alana Sting or Bono. Right. Very similar. So, okay. Well, we need to wrap this up. Okay. So, well, look um, forward to Friday. Yes. No, I'm doing one one name, Philip. No. <laughs> Philip will not talk to Majewski. So, uh, thank you, Lori, for being on the air. And again, Lori's co-hosting yes. on Friday night here at William Patterson University. I Want My 80s, the best of MTV's ladies. Special performance by Taylor Dane. Also, Run DMZ's Daryl McDaniels. Original MTV VJ Mark Goodman and Lori Majewski are co-hosts. We also have... Uh, Rob Fusari is musical Butler. director. We have Chris Butler of The Waitresses. That's it. And student backing band called Sweet Dreams. Mm. So we're excited to have you here. We're also going to auction off some stuff that Lori's going to be. Lori's actually auctioning off, auctioning off an autographed copy of her book. Great. Speaking of Rick Springfield, Mark Goodman has this uh, MTV book that came out a few years ago. Uh, he autographed it. Nina Blackwood, original MTV VJ, and uh, Alan Hunter autographed it. And he also got Rick Springfield to autograph it. And a couple things from Rick Springfield that he also autographed that we're going to auction off Great. during the night yeah. as well. So that's all cool. So thank you so much, Lori, for, for being on Music Biz 101 and more. Yeah.
Thank you, and we'll see you and Chris tomorrow on my show on Feedback on SiriusXM Volume. Yes, we will see you tomorrow morning. Thank you very much, Lori. All right, have a good night. See you Friday. You too. Bye. 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 I know, David, we have been copied, I should say, on the volume channel of Sirius Radio. Who? By and none, or the, none other than one of the premier bosses of the music and entertainment industry, the chair of Madison Square Garden Presents. Entertainment or something. Yeah, yeah. entertainment, on and on and on, uh, manager of the Eagles and so on. But now, um, Irving Azoff, the little giant, is going to do, he did one show on the music business. And he interviewed. I don't remember. I saw who you said he would. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, we now have a copy show on the volume yeah. channel of Sirius. Even though one of the executives at Sirius says, no way. That it was not a copy. It wasn't a copy. And I didn't understand the no way whether we were better <laughs> or... If we were better, we'd also be on Sirius XM <laughs> right know. now. So. How come we haven't gotten an audition? <laughs> we're going to get one. Hello. Yeah, hello. Hello. Yeah. It Steve was Marconi the night here. before Christmas. I know. No, I'm just trying to read. So we need to get off the air. Ashley's about to be... Ashley could Ashley's, be our producer Ashley will Sirius. be our producer at Sirius XM. She's now suddenly going to let us run over. A so A package deal. So... I want my the best fam TV's ladies, April 6th. You've been listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Friday night. Yes, right. And I believe our guest, by the way, next Wednesday night is a member of the Front Bottoms named Brian Sella, who is the mm -hmm. lead sort of singer of the Front Bottoms, a Jersey-based band, Bergen County. Um, I believe that's going to come through. Um, and so until then, we want to thank you. I am, I am Dr. Esteban Marconi, and you are... Of course, Professor Phil. And at the end of every show, we do not well, say no, hello. We will see everyone Friday night, we hope. Yeah, we're going to see you at... T-shirts, mugs, Lots of merch. Yeah, bring Ashley's going to be there, too. Ashley's going to sell some stuff to you. Yes, and bring your wallet. So we don't say hello at the end of every show. Instead, it's, you know what we say? We'll say, adios! Uh... Said something broke inside